Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. All right, that was Papa's Got a Brand New Bag, the legendary Pat Boone singing with the iconic James Brown. Dave Player back with you here on 720 WGN. So Pat Boone was the very essence of wholesome American values. And at a time when the rise of rock and roll was viewed as a sign of the apocalypse, he made the music appear safe and non-threatening, earning some 38 top 40 hits in the process. Now, among his numerous awards and accolades, Pat has sold 45 million records worldwide, 13 gold singles, two gold albums, and a platinum album, and has recorded over 2,300 songs, more than any recording artist in recorded music history. He starred in 15 movies, and he has three stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Pat's new book, his 28th, is called If, The Eternal Choice We Must Make. And this entertainment legend joins us right now on WGN Radio. Hi there, Pat. <laughs> I'm sorry, we don't have time to talk anymore, Dave. Very <laughs> <laughs> funny. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'll tell you, congratulations uh, but- on 88 years on the planet, nearly 75 years in the entertainment world and still loving what you do every day. Yep, yeah, I sure do. And I, I actually, it's so much so that I'm constantly trying to do more than I possibly can. Yeah. But that was sort of always my MGO. Do you, uh, uh, do you remember when they used to be traditional American values? Yeah, well, I remember that, that some, long, some long ago. It was a long time ago, it feels <laughs> like, doesn't it, Pam? And I was, I was known as the All-American, and my friendly uh, competitor, Elvis, was the rebel, and I was the conformist. And we matched each other record for record through the 50s. I, as you mentioned, I had 41 chart records in the 50s. He had 40. But I had a, a six-month head start on him, and... And uh, and I, we met for the first time at a sock hop in Cleveland in 1955 when I had three million sellers already since March of that year. And then he had only recorded one on Sun Records, which the kids there in Cleveland didn't know anything about, a Bill Monroe bluegrass song, Blue Moon Up, Kentucky, Keep On Shining. <laughs> but he was trying to make it sound like an R&B song, and it was uh, weird. But they liked him, and they wanted more. And he finished that song, and he says, thank you very much. I'd like to do the other side of the record for you. hope you like it. And he then he did That's All Right, Mama, which they did like, and I did too. And then our friendship was forged that night, and we uh, wow. we were just two Tennessee boys that were uh, competing in a very friendly way. And, and now he's been gone 45 years. Crazy, yeah. And, I, and I'm still plodding on. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And it started for you. I mean, talk about those days with Elvis. I mean, you sang in grade school and whatever musical programs they had coming on. And you, you went to a teenage uh, talent show in Nashville, which would take place on stage before a movie aired. And that was kind of the way it went back then. And you won a big prize. What was that big prize, Pat? That, that big prize was a trip to New York, no guarantee, but an audition with the Ted Mack Amateur Hour, which was the forerunner of The Voice and America's Got Talent, all those shows. And it was live Saturday nights on, uh, on I think, ABC. But it was nationally broadcast. Ted uh, had been, uh, well, it was Ted Mack. It had been Mayor Bowes, some other name. The Amateur the Ted Hour. Mack Amateur Hour. Yeah. Frank Sinatra had been on it. Connie Francis had been on it. And all kinds of artists, some winning and some losing. But I won three weeks in a row on that show, and I uh, had to come back each week. And then that led to a record contract. And, and out of the blue, I suddenly 
had a record and movie career just fall on me. I was on my way to being a teacher-preacher, I thought, and married at 19. And get this, Dave, this was so astonishing and really unpredictable, if not unbelievable. I became a teen idol and matching Elvis, record for record, girls screaming, uh, and, and it just going wild. And I was already married and having a child a year <laughs> wow. uh, with my wife, Shirley, and still yep. in college at, at Columbia University all at once. And it's been like that my whole life since. I was going to say, that's a lot to take in. And I would think at some point in your career, did you feel overwhelmed at any time? And if you did, how did you how did you get through those moments? Because fame, as you know, can do a lot of things to a lot of people. And, yeah. and you have lasted this long because you have avoided all that. How did you deal with it at that time? Well, two things. One, I can't take any credit for it all. I was born... With uh, I was pro I was tested once at 170 IQ, wow. and uh, which they say is genius IQ. So it gave me the inherent ability to try to keep things in some kind of balance. And then I also learned I could get by on three or four hours sleep a night. Oh man! <laughs> so I had to do my homework, study for my classes. I was determined to get a Phi Beta Kappa key at Columbia, and uh, I was studying for my classes. Uh, into the wee hours and then getting up and going over, being on the Arthur Godfrey show in the morning till I started my own TV show, of course, in, in 57. And I was the youngest guy ever to have his own uh, musical variety show. And all the major musical stars were coming on my show. Here I'm in college. I'm 22 years old. And they're Ella Fitzgerald, yeah. Nat Cole, Johnny Mathis, Sammy Davis. Uh, they're all coming on my show to sing with me. And I, then I would uh, we'd rehearse uh, on, on a Wednesday. I'd get, go to my classes at Columbia, and then I'd come down on Thursday and do my TV show. And then I was back in school Friday and Saturday. Wow! <laughs> and, wow. and I just could compartmentalize, and and of course, meanwhile, finding a few minutes to father a, a child. <laughs> <laughs> a few minutes. <laughs> a few minutes. Well, I know you know television yeah. was so huge. You were talking about all those names, and I know Frankie Avalon was on there, and Tony Bennett. The show was yeah. was huge, and you know you you did that Ozark Jubilee, the Country Music Jubilee. You were on Arthur Godfrey's yeah. show, but to get your own show, and you think about yeah. that at a time where music was really changing a little bit in 1957, yeah. and to be in the forefront of television must have been pretty amazing at that time for you. Well, it was, and I was straddling the musical fence between R&B, which was called race music then. Right. They had their own stations, their own charts, their own artists, and there was a gulf between R&B and pop. But right at the cusp where I came along, uh, record producers like Mitch Miller, Miller at Columbia and others were starting to uh, come across these R&B songs that were hooky and fun and making pop records. Uh, which we call rock and roll. There was no, quote, rock and roll until this happened. I I call Elvis and myself midwives at the birth of (laughs) rock and roll because Mm -hmm. rock and roll was a kind of erotic phrase in rhythm and blues music. But when when, uh, Bill Haley and the Comets said, let's rock around the clock, well, that that couldn't mean what it (laughs) meant in R&B music. And it, it, it implied a party, a dance party. Let's just have fun. And so R&B, a rock and roll, caught on, and I was straddling that fence between, certainly, certainly because of my TV show, of singing rock and roll on the on the R&B stations and the pop stations and having rock hits, but singing uh, the big band jazz orchestra and movie themes and all the other songs 
on my television show. And uh, Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra both made the same statement. They they didn't like rock and roll at all. Right. They deplored it. Right. Yeah. But they heard me sing ballads, and they said maybe Pat Boone may be the great white hope, they put it, and rescue us from this, uh, this uh, R&B music. Well, you, you couldn't say that today, and so scratch it. <laughs> I'm, I'm just quoting them from the 50s. But uh, I was singing black music on and on and white radio, and it was called rock and roll. And uh, I was having big hits, like you mentioned, Frank's uh, Fat, uh, Fats Domino, uh, Ain't, that a, Ain't that a Shame. His record yeah. was number one R&B on their charts, sold 150,000, which was huge. I recorded his song in uh, May of 55 and sold a million and a half, ten times what his record had sold. And I was immediately put on the R&B charts as well. Well, we are talking to music legend Pat Boone, and there's more with him next on 720 WGN. You know, I I know the word conservative doesn't mean what it did back then. It means all kinds of stuff Mm -hmm. now. But if we nail it down to, you know, there were certain songs and movie roles that you felt might compromise your beliefs. It's more about the belief system more than it is conservative, because now conservative means something political and so forth. But but at this stage of the game and, and throughout your whole career, you really were very choosy about every single step of the way, every song you sang, every movie part you played. I changed lyrics to, uh, like Little Richards, boy, you don't know what she do to me. I changed to Pretty Little Susie is the girl for me, and nobody cared, even Little Richard. He didn't care, <laughs> because yeah, right. I have a tape of him being on a black station and asked how he felt when I did his song Tootie Fruity which was his first record, and then I jumped on it and made my version, and again, sold ten times what he had sold. But uh, when he was asked that question, said, when I heard Pat Boone had done my song, Tutti Frutti, said, I was still washing dishes in a bus station mm-hmm. in Macon, Georgia, and but I threw the towel down and walked out of there because I knew I was going to make some money now. Right, right, but right. But he said, they were playing my record on the radio, but I wasn't making no money. But when Pat Boone did my song, I knew I was going to make money because he wrote the song, and it was his song. And sure enough, that when I did Rip It Up and Long Tall Sally and the other songs, he welcomed it because he was going to make more money like Fats Domino did on Ain't That a Shame. He said publicly, I made more money from Pat Boone's record of my song than from my own record. And that's something. Because I wrote the song. So, But it wasn't just the money part of it. I had them on my TV shows and I would sing their songs with them on my shows and Jesse Jackson said recently he thought I did more for race relations in the 50s wow. than any other singer. Wow. Wow. Now, I didn't say that. Jesse Jackson said that on the Rainbow Coalition station there in Chicago. What have you done, you know, in your career to your, you know, like, how have you actually taken the fact that you've really kept those beliefs and, and who you are as a human being, as wholesome as, as you've been portrayed and the way you've been for so many years, like what kept bringing you back to that? Because I'm sure throughout this long career of yours, there's probably been turns and twists that might have taken you someplace else. What always brought you back yeah. to doing that right thing for yourself? Well, of course, uh, as, as you mentioned, I, uh, it's all, I've, it's always been known about because I didn't have to hide it. I mean, when I was first introduced to the public, I was known as a Christian I was known as a boy from Nashville. I was known as I was married, that I was fertile as a father. <laughs> right, I was yeah, in college. Right, I right. getting a degree, uh, uh, magna cum laude from Columbia. And I had an image that was not calculated. 
uh, it just was who I was. And so that's because it was known, I never had to hide anything. It was just, I mean, it was astonishing. I had so many millions of teenage fans, though all these girls that were screaming whenever I appeared anywhere in my white buck shoes and singing my hit songs, they went nuts over me, even if even if Shirley uh, was around. We are talking to music legend Pat Boone, and there's more with Pat after the top stories from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom next on 720 WGN. Dave Plyer, 720 WGN. We're talking to music icon Pat Boone. Pat, as a teenager, you wrote a book for teenagers way back when, so many years ago, relating to them on so many levels and establishing some principles on who you were to your fans. I went on record then with the biblical but sound practical principles that were helping me through my early years, leading me right into parenthood and family and all of that, and still having great success. So those principles became part of who I am, and I knew from then on that I could never do anything, including make any kind of X-rated film. I turned down a movie with Marilyn Monroe. I'd yes, love to have made a movie yeah. with Marilyn Monroe, but it was an immoral story about an older but still voluptuous woman that uh, has an affair with this young kid. And I said, I can't do that to the head of the studio, Buddy Adler. He said, why? I said, because it's it's an immoral story, and I've got millions of fans, and it's going to make it seem that there's no harm, no foul, and he'll just have a bittersweet memory, and and go on with his life. I can't do that. And he threatened to um, to actually put me on suspension wow. in the movie business. Wow. But instead, we they made the movie with uh, Joanne Woodward and uh, and uh, and another um, oh god the guy that did West Side Story. Um, and it was a huge flop. They lost money on it. But they put me into Journey to the Center of the Earth instead which became a cult classic. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. And actually saved the studio. Yeah, it absolutely did. Well, see, now, everything you're talking about right now, and you're talking about your 28th book, it's called If, and you are addressing something very important that has been a threat all your life. And, you know, you mentioned that polls have shown that we are no longer one nation under God. We're a divided nation with less than half the American population. And this is not a political statement. This is about half the American population isn't going to any place of worship, any church, right. a temple, synagogue, you know, and that's totally true. I, I know and a lot. They, say they may pray. They may pray sometimes, but they don't know if anybody's listening. Right. And they don't know if there is a God, but they just hope there is. And right. so it's just woeful, abysmal ignorance. And that's what I'm trying to address in this book. It's not for Christians or for believers. It's for non-believers. Right. It's for people who don't know what to believe. Or what to do with and, themselves. And you know you, you know this too, Pat, so many times. You know, you belong to a church. You belong to um, some kind of spiritual uh, place of worship. And you yeah. might not like the pastor. You might not like the people there. That means you then need to pivot to another church or, or someplace else. You know, I'm a Catholic, so, mm-hmm. you know, there's been times yeah. that I haven't really particularly liked my pastor. Well, I found somebody else I could go to, uh, a homily that I enjoyed listening to. Uh, you have to pivot. You just can't quit and, and walk away now, from I've it. I've got a Catholic daughter and, and Catholic grandkids, too, because they, at one point, they decided they wanted to be Catholic. That is my daughter and her husband, and so they've raised my kids Catholic. So we have Catholic and Protestant and 
and um, and we, but but they're all believers in the one God, and uh, and and we were. I raised my kids by what I call Tennessee standards, and Shirley said, "What does that mean?" I said, "Well, I'm going to raise them as if we were still living in Nashville. We'll go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and we'll try to live by those principles during the week." And by the way, there'll be no single dating. And my daughters, I told them this when they were in their early, early teens, mm-hmm. even before they were teenagers, be, you won't be dating, uh, single dating till you're 16. That's fair. And uh, that's in, in California, that was unusual because parents would let their kids 14, 15 go out with older guys. It wasn't going to happen in our house. In fact, none of my daughters, including Debbie, after she had you light up my life, and a huge, huge, huge number one hit. Yeah. Uh, all my daughters lived at home. No, none of them ever had her own apartment. They went to Christian colleges, if they went to college at all. And that's just the way I raised my family. That's the way I was raised. And I made it work here in Hollywood. And, and since people know that about me, and I could still sing commercial songs, I, I one of my latest albums is... Uh, is uh, well, you know, I did a song, an album called "In the Metal Mood," doing heavy metal songs with big band jazz song uh, arrangements. But also, the latest one is um, "We Are Family," uh, with the, uh, the the icons of R and B: James Brown, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Smokey Robinson, The Four Tops, Sister Sledge, all of them doing their hits with them, new versions of their songs. And I was amazed. They were willing to record with me their hits, but they knew I had come along and helped R&B become rock and roll and, and had been very helpful to many, many black performers who were friends of mine. But all along, I mean, I may be giving you two verbose answers to your questions, but I've just had a, I've seen a straight path before me. Uh, in my whole life, and that is to follow my conscience, and I try to educate my conscience with biblical principles, not just societal ideas. And more and more, there's been a great divergence between what I see as firm spiritual principles that are written clearly in the Bible and what society is now not only accepting, but commending and celebrating things that God calls abomination. Right, right. And so... We're having to make tough choices, but the, but it's because in my book, if the big if is heaven or hell, I mean, to put it bluntly, but lovingly, that we're making that choice, every one of us, now, as we live, moment by moment, day by day, year by year, we're going to decide, we are deciding where we're going to uh, spend eternity. When we die, and we don't really die, our bodies do, but then we are, and our spirit lives on. And it's going to live one of two places. It's going to exist for eternity yeah. in one of two places. And I'm just trying to help people realize that and decide they're going to make the choices that will guarantee uh, the other side of the if. God's choice is that we come to heaven. He loves us so much that he died for us to help us come to heaven. But it's our choice. He made us in his own image, and we can make up our own minds and decide what we're going to believe or disbelieve, what we can ridicule and reject, or what we can accept and benefit from. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm trying to make, you know, make really, really practical. Like I wrote that first book for teenagers, 
I'm writing it now for people of any age and trying to help help them just make good choices for for their own good because I love them. Absolutely, you do. Legendary Pat Boone, and his new book is called If. And for more on Pat, his music, and his legacy, you can visit patboone.com. Pat, what an honor it is to speak with you. And you mentioned your your daughter, Debbie. I'm younger than her. I had a crush on her in the 70s. Please say hello as well, like every, like millions of other good, guys. You had good taste. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Pat, so much yeah, for your she's time. Still, she looks like one of her own daughters. And she sings like she always did. I love that. And all four of my girls, I can't believe it. They all look like, uh, you know, late teens or something. And they're all four grandmothers. Yeah. You know, you're old if you're, uh, if you're, if your granddaughter is a parent or your baby daughter is a grandmother, That's you right. know, you're old. So <laughs> you I, look great, my friend. <laughs> you look great, my friend. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Pat. Well, thank you, Dave. The legendary Pat Boone. All right, you're listening to 720 WGN.